If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Mark, chapter 3. Chapter 3, the book of Mark. It is good to know that God is always good. He's always good to us. We get in a panic from time to time, but he's always on his throne. He's always on his throne. Today, we want to think, just for a few moments, we want to focus on the thought that Jesus and those he chooses. Jesus and those he chooses. Mark 3, we're going to look in verses 13 through 19. I, I, I read this verse or this passage and I thought, well, you know, I think I'd be better off to, to skip over this and let's look at this another time. But the more I, I just thought about the passage, the more I talk with the Lord, the more he started showing me things that we needed to hear today. And, and we, we're just for a few moments, we want to think about Jesus and those he chooses. This passage sets up great for an ordination service, and we know this isn't an ordination service. But it is a service where we can get encouragement from God's word. We've, we've all heard, most of us here have heard, um, Brother Michael say that Reedy Branch is a church that loves its sports. You've heard that. Uh, if you're new to us and you don't know, in our garage, the back wall is filled with trophies from top to bottom all the way across. Trophies, uh, men's and women's softball trophies, uh, volleyball trophies, uh, and I don't know what else, but there's trophies in this, in this garage and, uh, some of you will remember when you played in the backyard. You played football or baseball or softball or even basketball. What you remember, it, well, I don't know how y'all did things in Fairmont. I know how we did things around Union Chapel. The group would decide on who would be the captains because you had to have teams. And then once the captains were selected, then everyone stood off and the captains chose their team. They still do that over in, uh, at Lumber Bridge, don't they, Brother Ronald? <laughs> Even with golf. And, 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 what, and you, know, you, you know how everyone felt as they were choosing teams? I don't want to be last. Because often in your mind, the worst kid is chosen last. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's the new kid on the block that's chosen last. No one knows about him. And he's chosen last maybe the first time, depending on his skill set, he may be chosen first the next time. Or it may be that the kid has, this kid has so much potential, but he's, he's younger, he's weaker, and they choose him last. Not because he's the worst player, but because he hasn't aged up yet. Or maybe in basketball, um, maybe you're not a team player. <laughs> and you know, y'all you, you, know that, that kid is not a team player. He, he keeps the ball all the time. You throw it to him. He ain't passing it to nobody. You know, we call that a ball hog. <laughs> That's what we did over at Union Chapel. And I tried to stay off of their teams, you know. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> so... What you didn't want was to be chosen last. I learned growing up playing sports that 
the better you are, the earlier you would be chosen. I also learned that the bigger, stronger, faster you were, the earlier you would be chosen. Now, Brother Kenny, that, that makes for something for folks like me and you. You know, we, we, we're somewhere in the middle to the back of the line because of size, right? <laughs> I bet some of you didn't know this. You know, stature plays a part in the workplace too. Two people with the exact skill set, same experience, same knowledge and understanding. The taller person, 85% of the time, gets the job. Stature plays a part of being chosen. But I'm glad God doesn't look at us that way, aren't you? Aren't you? I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't seem as man sees. For man looks upon the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. You know, it's evident in today's text that really the Lord chooses who he wills. He chooses who he wills. In today's text, the Bible tells us this. And he went up on the mountain and called to him, called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, yeah, <laughs> Boanerges, that is the sons of thunder. Philip, or Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. Now, God, we pray that as we have experienced your presence in this place today in our worship, be with us right now. Speak to our hearts through your word. God, hide me behind the cross and you speak to your people. And as you do, God, we'll we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. For God, you know what we need. And God, you know how to bless So bless according to your will and your riches and glory. This we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. What we've noticed over the last several weeks is that Jesus has a way of impacting lives. Some followed Jesus because he preached and taught the word of God with authority. Some followed Jesus because they witnessed him performing many miracles. The religious leaders hated Jesus because he didn't get on their program. He even called them hypocrites. And while Jesus' ministry is truly and fully underway at this time, we know he's gained a a large following. As a matter of fact, he's had a busy time with healing many afflictions, being pressed by many who wanted just to touch him, and dealing with unclean spirits who were bowing down before him. And in dealing with all of this, Jesus takes time now, and he retreats to commune 
with his heavenly father. Mark tells us here in the text that Jesus went up to the mountain. That's about as much as Mark gives us of of what takes place in the mountain. But Luke's gospel, if we look at the harmony of the gospels, Luke's account of this event in chapter 6 and verse 12, he records that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus knew what was about to take place. He knew the decision that he had to make. And before he does anything, he gets away to spend time with his father. There's something I want to make sure that we don't miss here. Jesus has had a big day. He has confronted Pharisees in such a way that they leave to go plot to destroy him. But he's also healed diseases Demonic spirits have bowed down before him. And now knowing he has this decision, he goes and spends time with the father. Yeah, I I know I repeated that. I don't want you to miss it. Because there's something significant about this. Jesus has just won another victory. And we would say it like this. He's had a great day in the Lord. But Jesus doesn't do what Elijah done. Y'all all remember Elijah, don't you? Elijah was that, was that prophet of God who, who battled the prophets of Baal. And when he battled them on Mount Carmel, he won. God just allowed Elijah to win in, in, a, in a striking victory. One to where Elijah ended up executing all the prophets of Baal. And a drought that, this, that they were in, it ended right after this victory. And then word came to Elijah that Queen Jezebel had found out what had took place at Mount Carmel. And now she was after his head. She even she sent word to him, to, sent these words, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, those prophets of Baal, by tomorrow about this time. In other words, what Jezebel was saying was, let her be executed just as the prophets of Baal were executed if she doesn't execute Elijah the next day. Y'all remember what Elijah did when he heard the news? He ran a day's journey into the wilderness and prayed that God would kill him. He ran away from a woman After he had destroyed 400 prophets of Baal because of her word. He didn't have to see her. He just got word (laughs) that she was going to have him killed. Hmm. An army of men didn't scare him. But an angry woman did. (laughs) Uh, so men, it's okay. We, we it, it was a long time ago <laughs> that that same thing was happening. I know your wives can look at you a certain way and you'll just take a step back. Yeah, most of you, your wives know how far to push you. Some of you, your wives are going to learn that. <laughs> and there are times when you just want to step back. It ain't worth it. Yeah, Elijah, he, he didn't just run from her. He prayed that God would kill him. 
He would rather God kill him than this woman kill him. But that's not what Jesus done. Jesus went and spent all night after a victory with the Lord in prayer. This lets us know that we need to make prayer a priority in our lives. When we have victories in this world, we must spend time in prayer, praising and thanking God for those victories. And when we have big decisions to make, we must not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we must acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. Though Jesus was equal with God, he submitted to God, giving us an example of not allowing our pride to control our lives. If we're not careful... If we're not intentional, once we experience a victory in this life, we will go without acknowledging God. We'll we'll begin to make decisions based on our own desires or our own understanding, based upon our own confidence in ourselves. And we just might find ourselves in a mess. So let us seek the face of God. When we've experienced victories... And when we have big decisions to make, oh, we'll be much better for it. Because what we begin to see that unfolds here in this text, after Jesus has spent all night with God in prayer, he has spent all night communing with his father. Now we see a call is made. There's a great number of people that had followed Jesus. In verse eight, 7 and 8, uh, it lets us know that that there was a great multitude. Twice we see that phrase, a great multitude. So what we understand is there were two different multitudes, two different great multitudes. So this had to be a huge multitude of people who were following Jesus. We understand that, that many of them were sent on their way back. Many of them were, were sent and told, don't, don't tell anybody the things that I've done. But when Jesus comes back from spending time with God, He begins to call men. Now, he had already called two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. He had already called them to follow him. He had already called a tax collector, Matthew, to follow him. And now, he had seven more. And he lists the names in here. In verses 17, 18, and 19, he, he, he shares some names. He, he, the name Philip, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, uh, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. So the question in our minds would be, what was it about these men that he called? There, you know, we, we might want to ask, was there something special about these 12 men? Out of the large number of people that were following him, why these 12? Was there something special about them? Well, the simple and accurate answer is no. There was nothing that indicated that they were worthy of being chosen. They certainly didn't have things figured out. They lacked spiritual insight. They lacked humility. And they had very little faith. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied him three times. But all of the disciples except John abandoned Jesus during the time he was being beaten and crucified. And after his resurrection... After he had revealed himself to them, Thomas wasn't there. And when they began to tell Thomas what took place, Thomas doubted it until he saw him with his own eyes. 
Jesus knew this about these men. He knew what they would do. He knew what they would not do. Nothing these men did or nothing they did not do caught him by surprise. But he still called them. The Bible says he called to him those he himself wanted. In other words, Jesus sovereignly chose them. Can I say it this way? Jesus did what he wanted to do. He chose who he wanted to choose. His choice of choosing the 12 had nothing to do with those 12. Just in case you're wondering, him choosing you, him calling you, so that you would respond to the gospel had nothing to do with you. It was nothing special about you. It was merely that he loved you and his grace and his mercy called you. There was nothing good about me. I was wretched and undone on my way to a demon's hell when he called me. There was nothing good about me even in serving him the way he would call me to preach. But in his sovereignty, just because he wanted to, he called me. And that's what he did for you. Just as he did these boys. You know, this, this wasn't the first time this had happened. If you go through scripture, if you go through the Old Testament, there are two men he calls righteous men. Uh, actually, there's three. One, he took with him. He took with him who never saw death. Another, Job. Job, he calls Job a perfect and upright man, depending on the, the translation that you're reading from. He, but Job sinned. You know, when he sinned, when he challenged God's authority, asking him, why? Why would he do this to him? And he, he simply responded to Job by, Job, where were you when I hung the stars? You know, I, we don't have no say in what God does. God does what God chooses to do. There was another one, Noah. And Noah ended up sitting. He destroyed the whole world. But Noah and his family, you know what happened? Noah sinned. He got drunk. He got to where he exposed himself. And then his son got a curse upon him because he saw his dad's nakedness. And he laughed and he joked and he ridiculed his dad. He disrespected him. And his whole family line was cursed. Yeah, These were righteous men. God didn't choose to have either one of them to be the father of a nation that he would call his chosen people. Instead, he he saw this man in Ur. Ur was inhabited by Chaldeans. And Chaldeans were were godless people. They worshipped many gods. They didn't worship the one true God. And there he saw Abram. And he told Abram, leave your father's house. Leave the country that you know. Leave, every, leave your family. Just leave them and follow me. And I'm going to show you a country that I'll give you. I'll show you a land that will be yours. And Abram followed him. Now, Abram didn't have it all figured out. As a matter of fact, when a famine came, Abram and his wife Sarah left Canaan and went to Egypt. And when they went to Egypt, <laughs> whoo, Sarah was a beautiful woman. And Abram loved himself so much 
that he told his wife, this beautiful woman, when we get here, you know, they're going to want to kill me if they find out I'm your husband because they're going to want you. So what we'll do is we'll let them have you. You just tell them, um, I'm your brother. Let's not let me get killed in this. It didn't matter if she was raped. It didn't matter how she was treated. He just didn't want to be killed. Huh? No, he didn't have it figured out. Abram had faith to answer the call to God to leave what he knew, what was familiar to him, and follow God. But he didn't have enough faith that when he got to Egypt that God would take care of him. God's call to Abram had nothing to do with Abram. God knew Abram would do everything that he'd done before he ever called him. God just chose him. Why am I saying all of this? Because God's calling somebody here today to follow him. But for some reason, you want to try to fix things in your life first. Someone's listening on this live stream that we have who may need to hear this, that you're trying to get things right, or you're, you're trying to get a handle on this, or that someone may even be trying to change their lifestyle first. And for the life of me, I don't understand why you're trying to fix things before answering the call to God to follow him, because God's calling you while you're already in your mess to follow him why if you needed to fix it first he wouldn't bother with you but he's calling you right the way you are and he's just wanting you to trust him to fix what needs to be fixed (laughs) so then the question becomes why not just surrender your life with the mess that you think is in your life to him and let him work it out for your good and for his glory you know what that's what every one of us had to do you know i didn't have it figured out do you have it figured out brother marcus do you have it figured out brother ronald nobody had it figured out he's had to work in our lives and that's what he's asking trust him trust him to work in your life If he would take these 12 men and shake up the world, (laughs) if your answer is called, he'll take you and he'll shake up your home. He'll shake up your community. He'll shake up your friends. He'll shake up your workplace. He'll shake up this church. He'll shake you up if you'll just allow him to have you and the mess that you call your life. Oh, the call. (laughs) It's real. And you've got to respond to the call. But there's more to this than just the call. There's a commission. As we look in this text, Jesus not only calls these men, he commissions them. (laughs) These men were appointed for a specific purpose. And the text lets us know. We find that they were appointed that they might be with him. He called them so they would be with him. You know what you think? What I used to think, what most people think, is he's just calling us to to take us to heaven. He called these men that they might be with him. Jesus wanted a personal relationship with these men. He wanted their devotion. He wanted their affection. He wanted their fellowship. More than anything else, that's what he wanted from them. 
Isaiah 43 and 10 tells us, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Jesus called these disciples to live with him, to learn from him, to become spiritually nourished by him, to be strengthened from him. He would be their great shepherd and they would become, they would come to know his voice and to know him as their God. He wanted, he called them to be with him. The commission extended beyond just being with him. He also appointed them that they might, he might send them out to preach. These disciples would be heralds. They would be messengers of Jesus Christ. They, they, he had a message for the world and they were to proclaim his message, not their message, not my message, not your message, but his message to the world. And his message is the gospel of the kingdom of God. He also appointed them to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Now, the preaching of these men were accompanied by sign gifts. Jesus became known as a healer, one who had power over the demonic spirits. And so when the disciples were able to demonstrate this same power and gifts in Jesus' name, it gave witness that they had been with him. Before Jesus ascended to his father, he gave these men a similar commission, all but Judas. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father. They would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And though they did not understand everything, he told them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them and they shall be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So what do I mean by all of this? <laughs> it means that the call to salvation is not just a call to go to heaven. Jesus has no interest in waiting until we die to be intimately involved in our lives. He desires an intimate relationship with us right now. The one who spoke the world into existence wants to spend time with you. Wants you to spend time with him. He wants our devotion. He wants our fellowship. He wants to be the one who nourishes us. He wants to be our protector, our provider, our peace, our strength, our hope, our joy. He wants to be the one who meets all of our needs. He may not be calling us all to preach, but he's calling us all to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is to be loved by us. It's to be lived out through us, and it is to be shared from us. Our witness must begin in our homes. Listen, I've said this on multiple occasions. No one's going to cry over your children, over your loved ones, the way you cry over them. No one's going to pray for them the way you pray for them. Our witness of the gospel must begin in our homes. Then it can go to our friends, our community, our workplace. And then to anyone we may come in contact with. 
He desires for us to share him with the world. But he also wants to use us in his service. We who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior have been indwelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish his will in our lives. You may be thinking, well, I don't have any of those sign gifts. Well, I want to assure you that your message today, your service today is validated not by any gifts. It's not validated by your ability. It's validated when you, your witness and your service, um, it, it's validated by the change that has taken place in your life by the grace of God and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God's grace and God's gospel changes you, that becomes the witness to the world that you've been with him so unsaved in spite of your weaknesses Jesus is calling you today he took 12 ordinary men saved 11 of them by his grace <laughs> And made something special out of their lives. They failed him miserably from time to time. But he still called them. And chose them. Saved them. And used them. And today he's choosing you. How do you know preacher? You're here. You didn't have to be here. You could have went somewhere else. You could have stayed in bed. You didn't have to get up, get ready, come to this place. But you chose to come. And you, it was a divine appointment. It isn't by accident. It isn't by any other thing. But God wanted you here to hear this message so you would know that he's calling you not because of anything special, but simply because he loves you. And he loves you unto death. He died for your sin so that you could have life and life eternal. So, as they come to prepare this song of invitation, as every head bowed and every eyes closed, how will you respond to the creator of the world? He is calling you to trust him as your Lord and Savior. And he desires you to commission you into his service while you're living in this world. So today, if you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sin and God raised him up from the dead, and you're willing to surrender your life to him, you will be saved. And today, you can, you can begin a life, as the Apostle Paul said, of his own life. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you today, do you want to know Jesus as your Savior? If you, if you today believe Jesus is the Son of God, you believe he is the savior of the world and you acknowledge that you need a savior, he will be that savior for you. If you believe he died for your sin and he rose from the grave, 
and you're willing to confess to him your sin and confess him as Lord and Savior, he will save you right now. You don't have to get anything right. All you have to do is believe and confess and he'll fix things in your life. He'll take the process of sanctifying you and preparing you for glorifying you. So the question is, are you ready today? As this church is praying, as they begin singing, are you ready to give your life to Jesus?